0: Welcome to another episode of the Sawdust and Fire Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Hunter Johnson.
1: And I'm Thomas Baldridge.
0: Well, Thomas, what you got going on today? You still blowing fire lines? Yeah. Yeah. And
1: uh, today was a heck of a day to do it because the wind was blowing about 60 miles an hour. And if you could... Um, if you could just work with the wind and all you had to do is just barely get the leaves up off the ground and the wind took them to the next County. <laughs> so,
0: oh.
1: and then the, the I had my new fancy earmuffs on with the radio in them. Yeah. So I was listening to the radio too. Well, first I listened to a podcast and then I listened to just some regular local radio and I heard them say, Oh, something about, well, here comes the rain you know, in Little Rock, and I thought, well, man, i still got, you know, time, and uh, I had blown a pretty good ways, and, and uh, I I had stopped, and I was going to go back and get to side-by-side, and about halfway back to the side-by-side, out of nowhere, here comes the rain, and I mean, it's pouring, so I jump in the side-by-side, and I take off, and I get down to where I Left my leaf blower and I grab it and I throw it in the bed. And apparently, I left the tailgate down from, from earlier and I slung out a chainsaw and two gas cans back, God knows where. So <laughs> then, that's what happens when you get in a hurry. The wind's blowing 60 miles an hour. I think I might be in a tornado. It's 70 degrees in February. Raindrops are big as your fist and it's pounding on me, man. I mean, like soaking me. So a hot foot to side by side good and I'm hammered down and and uh as our old buddy Matt Martin would say I'm gassing on it <laughs> and I go back up there and I get the gas can and I get this chainsaw and another gas can and I take off and I'm about a mile from the house so I'm throwing my cell phone in the glove box trying to keep it from getting soaked and Anyhow, by the time I get back here, I'm soaked through to my underwear and trying to peel off uh, wet blue jeans that weigh 400 pounds. You know, it just, it ain't no fun. But
0: uh, Can we get the video of that? I mean, I could market (laughs) that video, I think.
1: (laughs) Man, I bet it was a show. (laughs) Oh, and I spooked some deer doing all that, by the way. Yeah. And they, they scared the life out of them. I don't know if they were bedded down, but they weren't far from where I stopped leaf blowing. And when I was coming back through there, here, their deer went every which way. And uh, they were running. <laughs> I was driving about oh, 23 to 30 through fire lane roads, and they were going faster than that. I mean, I couldn't keep up with them. Mm. But
0: yeah. Well, I need to be doing some of that leaf blowing myself, but man, I got so much to do. I think uh, I'm going to try to get up there and look at it in the next day or two and get a good plan together on which tracks I'm actually going to burn. I think I'm going to have to set it up kind of like the Forest Department does, and instead of relying on my fire lines, I think I'm going to have to bounce it off the highway and off a creek and... Uh, may have to have some bigger burns this year instead of some smaller just boy it just seems like i ain't got done what i need to get done but i may may still take the bobcat and a uh, grater blade up there and run around some see if i can blade some of it off but um we just can't get no weather i mean it just won't it just won't quit raining enough to even get equipment up there to take care of some leaves much less light a of fire
1: well Here's where I made my mistake. We were in a severe drought, severe drought all the way up until de- deer season. And they lifted the drought ban. We got enough rain. And these fields and pollinator plots, I took, I finally decided I was waiting for it to go dormant. We got two frosts, but then it would go back to 70 degrees get a frost and it'd go back to 70 so i thought man i don't know if i should do this now or not kept arguing with myself and anyhow finally i got the tractor and the bush hog and i mowed me a perimeter and i said i'm gonna light these fields off well <clears throat> it started raining and it's been raining ever since and now it's greening up and i i doubt i could get it to carry a fire um bradford pears are blooming i i seen some other trees blooming today um My allergies are so flared up from leaf blowing. My eyes are about swelled shut. Uh, Just blowing my nose like crazy. I'm eating (laughs) eating allergy medicine like it's Skittles. And um, I I have had one day that I could have burned. Um, But if I was smart, as soon as that drought band lifted, I should have lit the world on fire. But I wasn't smart. And now I'm looking at this forecast. Of course, it rained today. And uh, uh, I could have burned two days ago if I would have had everything ready. And I almost did it. But I decided to wait because I didn't have everything prepared like I wanted. And it's better to wait on something like that than to rush it and then chase a fire across your neighbor's ground. But um, today's Wednesday. So tomorrow, there's a small chance of rain. Friday, a small chance of rain. Saturday, Sunday, a pretty decent chance. Monday, a small chance. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, looks like it'll be kind of clear to cloudy. Then Thursday, Friday, it sets in raining again. Then we get about a three-day stretch of less than 24% chances, and then it goes back higher chances of raining again. And that's the way it's been. At best, we've been able to string three to four days of dry weather, and some of them haven't been sunny or windy. And we really need a little bit of sunshine and a little wind. I I would take, man, I I would take seven to fourteen days of dry sunshine right now. But I'd be thrilled if we got five.
0: Oh yeah, I'm with you. I I would too. That's uh. A- Yeah, it makes it tough. But, you know, we we talk about hindsight, how we wish we would have burned there in October and November. But the thing is, you can't put a crew together in October and November. It's hard enough to put a crew together in February and March to go burn. But, you know, you just can't. If a guy's got time off in October and November, he's going to hunt. He don't care nothing about helping you burn. And uh, That's right. we got to get some more folks that are qualified to help help with some burns uh you know a guy could make some good extra money if he just volunteered to help with a few burns he don't need nothing but a four-wheeler and uh uh and we might could even help him out with that but you know if a guy just had the knowledge uh of able to burn he could uh he could sure jump in and help some folks out and get some get some burning done but that's one of my number one problems is i just can't put together a crew when i need one
1: Yes. Yes. That's always a challenge.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's always a big challenge, but you know, there's a, there's some hope, you know, some, uh, prescribed burn associations are starting to get more attention in the state. Um, you know, I think you're, uh, had a couple biologists meeting here this, this week. And, um, in fact, yesterday morning I met (laughs) talk about a day yesterday morning i met with a biologist and a contractor looking at a particular job on the farm and uh then that afternoon i went to court for uh one of these guys who likes to trespass and um come over and try to do a little poaching so uh law enforcement guys had taken taken extra care of him good but i had to go to court for that but anyways uh the uh the quail forever guy, they they've got a burn team also in the state, and he told me they are so backlogged right now due to weather. Yep. And the and the QF people are good about burning any day it'll work. Yes. You know they're really good at it, and uh, they're one of the better ones I know of that are burning any day any day that's halfway decent they'll 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 light a torch off and go to go to drop and fire, but um, they're super backlogged right now and he told me that you know there's several landowners that they just won't be able to get to but but here's the good thing think about all the landowners that are wanting that done that have now you know where fire man i actually loaned out a torch here the other day to a buddy of mine he's got a place he's prepped fire lanes and there he you know he was wanting to burn it his grandpa's scared to death about burning and uh, but he and his dad were insistent upon, you know, on doing it. And, uh, he called and said, can I rent your torch? <laughs> I said, No, no, just come get the thing, you know? And, um, he burned on Sunday and Monday and they got a, they got a pretty decent burn, but they're, they're Northwest of us and had less, less rain. So, yeah. you know, it's just one of them deals, man, that, um, Uh, The good thing is, you know, I think I'm seeing a shift where a lot of people are starting to focus on habitat.
0: Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I know I've noticed that here lately, just scrolling through some of the social media pages. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people talk about, you know, they're not always doing it the correct way, but at least they're out there doing it and trying to learn um but i'm seeing a a big shift in people talking about habitat work that i haven't seen before uh, especially a couple of years ago it's uh, yeah. been pretty drastic difference
1: oh yeah yep there's several several folks out there doing it and you know they're having they're having a good time doing it they're changing their ground they're making a a positive difference um you know it's just uh it's just really, really cool. I mean, yep. to think about, you know, what what's going on. Take take for example, you know, our buddy listener that we got down uh, down in Georgia, Justin Peterson. You know, we we talked about him and Hiram last week. Well, when we talked about him on the podcast, it, it lit Hiram's fire so much that he went and lit a fire. There you so go. When you think about stuff like that, man what what you're able to do on the landscape with that kind of stuff it it is very impactful and it lasts you know you can change things for years instead of doing it moments at a time and you can change you can change uh you know a lot of things for the better I mean it you know and it, even if you just go like like Hiram did right after school he got a good window and he went and he burned a field off. Well, yep. yep, that makes a difference. You know, people sometimes think they can't do it, but hey, man, we got we got a young man, we got a young man down in Georgia that's doing it after school. So there's right. no there's no excuses.
0: No, no, there's really not. Um, I mean, there's a lot of this work. Everybody thinks it's it, there's so much to it, but man, it's really not. You know, I've talked before about you know me and my dog lanky doing some hacking squirt you know we'll use it as an excuse to go look for sheds and uh you know we'll just we'll mix up a chemical bottle and sharpen the hatchet and i'll let him run around and he chases a few live deer but uh that's all right just anything keep him happy if he can't find a coon to chew on or something but or a hog uh, we are a hog and uh but man we we have a great time and you can make a huge difference in a couple of hours, with one man and a hatchet, um, and, uh, and get
1: this, Brenda Valentine, the mm-hmm. the queen of of the hunting industry, she put a post the other day on Facebook. I mean, I'm like over here applauding Miss Brenda, and uh, and commenting on her post. She was out hacking, squirting some gum. Yep. I
0: yep.
1: mean, when you have people especially at that level that are understanding you know habitat and what what you can do by manipulating habitat uh for the better for your wildlife man what an awesome that that just gets me all kinds of excited
0: definitely definitely it's uh we're seeing a shift and it's i mean it's it's great and i think once people get started and figure out how rewarding it is to be able to uh, see their fruits of their labor on, on things like that. I mean, you know, and that's what we need is more celebrities doing it, more people doing it, you know, uh, make it, make it cool or whatever we got to do um, to, to see more of a shift. But I mean, I'm, I'm pretty fired up with with what I'm seeing right now. So.
1: yeah, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, with Will and Marcus's, you know, New Turkey Podcast, there's some good things coming out there. You know, Doc, Dr. Lashley and Dr. Goolsby are, are putting out some good info. And uh, like always, man, some people are not listening to the whole message. Um, and some people are taking small sound bites, you know. Uh, reminds me of those people that take one verse out of the Bible and build a whole religion on it. Yeah. But um, But if you listen to the message and the things that they're putting out – I, I listened to one today that they did. I think with the Primos boys, that was, I mean, it was lit on fire.
0: I was like, going to ask you know, if you listened to that this morning. That was that was a really good podcast about I mean, uh. That,
1: that was one of the best ones that that they have done. If you, and of course, I, you know, uh, I, I, man, always have loved, you know, uh, Primos. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these other big, you know, big companies that are icons in the industry that you typically, you know, don't think of them looking at certain things like that. And when they jumped off in that with those two guys, they, I mean, they were like hammer meets nail. Yeah. And they were driving some points home. It, you, you need to go listen to that podcast. That's a, that's a good one uh, with Dr. Goolsby and Dr. Lashley and the Primo's crew. And they were talking about, you know, supplemental feeding and, and its impacts, you know, potentially uh, to the wild turkey and predation. And, man, you know, another thing, Hunter, you brought this up the other day. That is, a, I, I, I believe this is something we should, like, brand somehow, change globally. And that is when people talk about managing predators, the first thing that comes to their mind is trapping. Yes, and we've got to change the thought process, not to track. I'm like everybody else. I do not want trapping removed from my toolbox. No. Right? I mean, I've got to, uh, thankfully, uh, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission uh, will allow us as private landowner to get a predator per- control permit. And that opens season up for us 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, day or night. Now, the flip side is I don't think that's really having an impact to, like, help our wild turkey, but um, at the same time, when you have localized issues, you know, you, you have the ability to take care of it. I mean, I, I'm thankful that, that we do have that because we didn't a few years ago. However, when you listen to some of the stuff and the overall message that they're saying, there's a lot of other ways to manage predation. And manage weather, with without setting a trap, and without uh, asking the good Lord for it not to rain. And I don't mean to be sacrilegious or anything, but but
0: well, you yeah, know, I mean that's that's absolutely right. And you know, uh, trapping predators in um, inadequate habitat is doing nothing. that's right to help you out um you know and so so what what you just said about you know when when we hear the term managing predators everybody's mind automatically goes to trapping but the thing is with trapping it's just what it is it's trapping and uh you're removing a few mammal predators off of the landscape but you're not doing anything to remove the reptilian predators, the uh, avian predators, um, and you know what, a lot of people don't realize is there is always going to be the exact number of predators on a property that that property can support. The, yes. the good Lord designed it like that. So even if you decrease and can can actually long term decrease one predator you're going to have other predators fill that niche. Like if you could really decrease coyotes on a property, then, you know, all the studies have shown that the field rats increase and the hawks increase to feed on the field rats and the snakes increase to, feel, to feed on the field rats. And, you know, there's so many things, there's like a chain effect there. So, um, you know, if we can manage just manage our property against predators and then use trapping as that finishing tool. Then we're always going to be money ahead. But even if all the predators were gone off a of property, if you don't have the habitat to support those young birds, you're not going to have to, you're not going to have birds. Period. So,
1: and I'm going to tell you another another good podcast I listened to was uh, on the Mossy Oak podcast the other day, the Gamekeepers podcast. Yeah. They were talking about. I didn't get uh, to
0: finish that one. I got. uh,
1: You got how far in it?
0: Well, I didn't get to finish it. I got maybe, uh, maybe 20 or 30 minutes into it and got sidetracked and never did, never did get to go back to it.
1: Dude. So Dr. Dana Morin, if I said that right. And I apologize if I didn't. I
0: heard that one. I thought you was talking about the one, the other one with Marcus. No, no, but, I haven't no, listened
1: to the one with Marcus yet. No, uh, the
0: one with Dana Morin was phenomenal. Oh,
1: buddy, let me tell you,
0: she shoved it. Come on down to the cob.
1: Yes, yes, she is a rock star. Yes. I mean, if if you you if you need to listen to that, you need to listen to that podcast where she talks about, you know, however you want to say it, coyote, coyote. Uh, whatever you want to call them but man she did a phenomenal job on that um the the research and data that she has the knowledge that she has to talk about that that subject is is incredible and uh, you know and the other thing is she has done it from coast to coast she hasn't just done it in the southeast or in the north or whatever she she's been coast to coast buddy she's no she is no joke she's she's legit and, uh, that was a, that was a good, that was a really good one. Really good. Yeah. But, yep. you know, I my mean, takeaway, you know, it's the same way we do about weather. You know, people sometimes don't realize how dependent a turkey hatch is on weather. Yeah. And you know, we have cold, damp springs, uh, you know, our turkey hatch suffers, but, uh, everybody thinks something miraculously happened when we have a little warmer, drier spring. But if you manage your habitat a little bit better, you can overcome some of those weather-related obstacles. Just like managing for predators, you you know, it doesn't have to be a trap. You know, uh, I think Marcus, Dr. Lashley, told us that uh, there was a study on raccoons, and I I don't have it, of course, but uh, he does, where they totally quit using an area after prescribed fire. Yes. Now how long, I don't know. He made it sound like it was it was for a long period. So, you know, there's some data out there that even even shows that, you know, you can manipulate that and help your turkey, your quail, your flora and fauna and all these things without ever setting a trap. Uh so that that's pretty cool.
0: Well, it is and a good trapper ought to be a good turkey manager too not because they have the ability to remove animals off the landscape, but because they know the areas that they need to set traps to catch predators. And if you know the areas you need to set traps to, to catch predators, we want to make sure that our turkeys aren't nesting in those areas. We want that nesting habitat, escape cover, brood habitat, somewhere else other than these edges and intersections and riparian areas and stuff like that where you're going to commonly catch predators
1: you know um some other interesting stuff that that i have i mean i've known but i have thought about more in the past few days you know when you're alone with your with your own thoughts in the woods with your earmuffs on blowing fire lanes you have a lot of time to think and um now I've got these fancy ones that I can listen to a podcast or the radio on but it gives me a lot of time to think and one thing I was thinking about similarities and differences between wild turkey and the bobwhite quail just in their nesting behaviors so a wild turkey typically nests during a certain period of the year and while they can and will renest Uh, When they start trying to, like if something happened to their first nest, whatever, they can re-nest, but the success rate is always drastically decreased, whereas quail will nest multiple times a year, but yet we still have low numbers, um, you know, as far as population of quail. And, uh, you know, they're also a smaller bird uh, than a turkey and more susceptible to a lot of other you know, environmental factors, whether that's weather or, you know, predation or whatever. So I just got to thinking uh, a couple days ago about, you know, we should be able to rebound quail theoretically, I would think quicker because they're going to nest more frequently in a 365 day year than a Turkey is a Turkey's going to have a nest, you know, uh, a quail, Quail could nest three to five times. I I can't tell you exactly, but several times a year easy. So we ought to be able to rebound quail faster, I I would think. Uh, Well, it takes
0: habitat, and people are just now getting on board with it.
1: Just getting there. Just getting there. But it's encouraging. You know, when I talk to people from NRCS office or QF or – uh you know like people calling me saying you know can i borrow some something to go do a prescribed burn on a property that's you know three or four counties away from me that's exciting man because people are finally starting to say okay i I hear what these guys are saying and i see what the research is saying and um let's let's give this this a try
0: right yeah yeah um it's very, very encouraging. I, I mean, you know, from everything we've just talked about to seeing guys doing more habitat work to, you know, God bless mm-hmm. doctors Marcus Lashley and, and Will Goolsby for what they're doing, you know people need to hear the truth. They need to hear the message. They need to they need to know what they can do on their property, whether you like what's being said or not. Whether you agree with it now or not, it's science-based. It's factual stuff that's proven to work. And, you know, a, a good preacher gets souls to heaven by stepping on some toes and stomping on some feet and beating on the pul- pulpit. But yeah. we've never had a research biologist portray a message that way. And we need that's why I'm so thankful for them for jumping up here and being direct and being to the point and, and shucking it on down to the cob this message that landowners need to hear. Yes.
1: And, and, you know, in all honesty, I want them to be even more blunt, but they're really, really good at saying, here's what the study says and here were the limitations of the study. And here's what we can say from that. And here's what we can extrapolate from that. Everything else that you're asking us at this point, we don't have science and research to prove. Now we can make some very valid hypotheses from this, but they're walking people through that. And, and I don't know if everybody comprehends it, but awesome material. And yeah, they're doing a good job. I mean, they're and they're staying very, they're staying very true to, uh, you know, they're doing the Joe Friday deal. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts.
0: Well, you ever seen the movie Dumb and Dumber?
1: Uh, I know of the movie. I don't think I've ever watched the whole thing. I, I've seen a clip or two.
0: Well, that's a couple hours of your life you probably wouldn't get back. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, there's a part in the movie where he asked the, uh, I don't know if it was dumb or dumber, but anyway, one of them asked the lady, uh, the chances of them getting together. And, uh, the lady said, uh, uh, one in a billion or one in a million. And he says, okay, okay. And he starts grinning real big. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's right. That's, that's the way a lot of these guys are doing with this. You know, they can sit there and tell you that, Hey, we're not saying that it doesn't work. You know, if this is met, if that's met, if that's met, it could have a little bit of a positive impact, but it's going to be very small and it's going to be limited and blah, blah, blah. And then the guys, some of these guys are hearing, Oh, okay. So you're telling me there's a chance <laughs> right. I keep doing what I'm doing. Cause you're telling me there's a chance.
1: Well, and then here's another thing, you know, it's a, it's a, a you know, a little bit of a risk reward type deal too. You know, when you start, looking at how much time do I have to put into this? How much money do I have to put into this? And what's my return going to be on this? Right. When you, when you start looking at things like that, like you or I, you know, we, we have to decide what we're going to do tomorrow. Okay. And it's finally not going to rain, I guess, but it's still wet. So we know we're not burning. Maybe we, might could blow fire lanes depending on how much rain we got, how wet the leaves are, but we we could go set traps. We could do this. We could do that, but we're looking at a return on our labor and then also a lifespan of that. Right. So what's it cost time-wise? What's it cost money-wise? What am I getting out of it? And what's the lifespan of the practice? Right. So for me, When you look at, let's just pick on trapping, because we are, you know you have to do it intensively, and Marcus and Will have been trying to ID what intensive is, and that's more than anything anybody I know has ever done. But even if you do it very intensively, every day, hardcore for months on end, or at least days on end, and you target it around let's say nesting or you target it around your fawns dropping or whatever the day you quit trapping you're right back to where you were to where you started from
0: that's right and and the, you know even in i guess even in poor habitat you know people say well you know i caught this cow that's one that won't be eating a turkey yeah yeah you know you're right you can't argue with that that is one that won't be eating a turkey but What about the other 99 things that like to eat a turkey or like to eat an egg? Uh, You haven't done anything about those, and you haven't done anything to address it long term. That's like a a story here a while back about a fellow that caught a whole bunch of coons on a little bitty property. You know, that's awesome. I ain't got nothing against that. If you can catch a hundred coons on a small property, hey, that's awesome. But have we done anything to prevent them from coming back? have no. we identified the reason so many coon was there and right, have we right. done anything to prevent them from coming back in the future because in fact if a small acreage can support that many coon they're there for a reason unless you constantly continue to trap they're going to be back so why don't we address the problem
1: well and think about it like this if you tsi something let's just say we tsi 20 acres okay the lifespan on that is 10, fifteen years minimum.
0: Well, and burning, we can prolong it for a long time.
1: Then if we burn, we're really we're really extending though we're joining those practices and extending that. And that's where you know at the end of the day, that's where that is why I do want people to leave trapping alone. I don't want traffic banned or outlawed or any craziness like that. I want that in my toolbox. So if I have TSI and I have burned and I have done all these other things, I can still reach for that tool if I need it. But I feel like, right. I feel like the time, the cost, uh, the return on that investment, and then the, the, the length, the, uh, the life of that practice is a lot shorter than other things I can do in manipulating habitat. But you know, that's a dead horse. I've I've beat it to death. I know. So, but. well,
0: you know. So we've I've got a property that I help take care of up in the hills, and uh, it's about twelve hundred acres. And you know, used to it was pretty good coon hunting. We've got an older gentleman down the road that has world class coon dogs, and he loved to coon hunt his property. Um, since we went in and have done so much habitat work on it, the coon hunting sucks. I mean, he can run dogs all night long, and he's lucky to tree one or two coons. Now, when we're trying to shoot does for a DMAP program, you know, we don't ever try to feed year-round, but we will bait for short periods of time to try to draw doe to a certain area so that we can shoot more of them. If we do that down by the creeks, we're going to have two or three coons show up occasionally at that feeder. But if we put out a feeder up on top of the ridge tops where we burn and where we thin, we very seldom see a coon show up to a feeder up there. And it's just because of the habitat work we've done. You rewind three or four years before we started cutting timber and burning and hacking squirt, uh, you would have had 10 or 12 coon on a feeder anywhere you put it, anytime you put it.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. No doubt about it no doubt about it
0: just but, happy know, to see what everybody's doing happy to see people jumping on the bandwagon and getting serious with some with some habitat work
1: well you know i mean you can look at this a lot of different ways um you know we like Derek denny and and some of them guys you know they they've got guys that that uh you know are begging them to come do work on their land or you yep. uh you know i mean the list is long i mean it it's crazy uh there you know there's been a lot of attention also uh with government programs i can tell you that that just in my county alone you know there's a lot of applications now rolling in the equip office uh so i mean you know there there's a lot of landowners that are actually getting it they they're saying okay man we've tried it this way We've tried it kind of like we talked about Tall hunters. We've tried it your way for, you know, 20 years and it hasn't worked. So now we're going to try it a different way.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, and that, you know, talking about job opportunity with little to no investment. A guy that wanted to run up to Lowe's and buy him a $40 East Wing hatchet and a $7 squirt bottle could make a awesome living for himself if he didn't mind swinging that hatchet. There's plenty of work out there to be done.
1: There's a lot of work. Uh and and you know, it's hot and it can involve ticks and chiggers and, and it can be unpleasant. Yep. But it can also pay pretty good.
0: It can pay pretty good and it can be very, very rewarding if you uh if you go into it with the right mindset.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure yeah there's a there's some good things happening man i i'm uh i at least have a little bit of hope i'm optimistically uh <laughs> you know reserved i would say but uh but yeah good things
0: well so what do you got on the books in the works what kind of plans you got coming up uh i know you're trying to burn but other than that what's uh what's happening on your farm
1: this uh year? got got some cattle coming uh probably probably sometime in april uh no later than may but given the fact that the weather thinks it's two months ahead already and um apparently mother nature's all out of whack and thinks that it should be spring already um you know may may put those cattle here a little sooner but um trying to finish some things there we've done a lot of fencing and you know all that kind of stuff uh might be putting in some watering tanks for for livestock to do some rotational grazing uh we still haven't worked through all that but we're trying to to sort through it all and uh um, you know be, beyond beyond that i gotta get some stuff burned i i almost have i almost have things ready to roll. So probably another, oh, two days of not, not killing myself. You know, I I could probably do it in one day if I tried to kill myself, but, uh, probably another two days of work and, um, I'll be ready. I'll be ready to, uh, be ready to burn and, uh, I've got to burn also some, uh, that native grazing area which is uh you know big 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 bunch of grasses i have to get that burned as well so not only not only stuff in the woods but stuff in the field as well so i got a good little bit of burning to do and i've got uh a little bit of stuff to prepare for uh on on the cattle but uh, other than that man you know all i can think about is turning those cows into hamburger and and rib eyes.
0: Well, that's what I was supposed to say. When I'm you know, I'm kind of looking forward to that because anytime you want to show up over here with a bunch of fresh steaks, I'll buy the charcoal. <laughs> that's
1: right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I'm telling you, and man, my bees are going nuts. so out there. They think it's spring too, and that that gives me a lot of concern because I'm worried that uh you know, we'll rock along with this seventy degree nonsense. And if it doesn't produce a tornado, of course it cooled back off after this rain. But if we stay lucky enough, blessed enough not to have a tornado, then it's just as likely to turn around in ice or snow in March or April. And it could really stunt some 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 growth of, of pollinators and, you know, so on and so forth. And uh that worries me because that's you know, we, we need, to, I need those things to survive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I've, uh, man, I've got a bunch of burning to do myself probably, you know, in a perfect world, I'd try to burn about 700 acres, uh, this spring, if I could, and probably turn around and burn another two or 300, uh, you know, August, September, if, uh, in a perfect world, but, uh, I've got a lot of hack and squirt to do. I've got a lot of cut and drop to do. I've got a lots and lots and lots of spraying to do. Of course, it seems like I spray more and more every year, but man, I've just, uh, at least I'm set up for it, but man, I've got, I've got a lot of spraying to do this year on some open lands, as well as in some, some timber, some invasive removal. And, um, and then I got a bunch of equipment work. I'm still not done with that. I gotta, gotta try to get done, but
1: that, that that's a never-ending deal right there.
0: Oh, it never ends. Yeah, it's always kind of oh, like man.
1: me, kind of like me spraying ceresia. You know, it, it, I've always got ceresia somewhere that could get sprayed. I guess. And uh, man, I saw some giant mullein, uh, popping on fire lanes already, trying to c- come to life and grow. Yeah, and I've, I've got, got a bunch people. of that, Brad. I hate that stuff. Bradford pears that are blooming. Hey, I'm going to
0: tell you, anybody that doesn't think we've got an issue with invasives, drive around to Arkansas right now, and if you look in the woods and you see it green, it's probably privet, and if you see it blooming white, it's probably calorie pear. Yep. And there is a bunch of it.
1: Oh, man. There's so much. Just if you drove from Little Rock to Searcy on 67-167, it should be shockingly eye opening to anyone at the amount of privet and, and calorie calorie pair, whatever. Well, it's the same.
0: If you leave here, headed West to Memphis, it's the same, same thing. Um, I think it's, I think it's covering the whole dang state.
1: It's bad, man. And you know, what is sad to me is some States took action really quick on a lot of these different things. As far as, you know, I say quick, it wasn't quick, but quicker than others and ban things like Bradford pears, or put them on an invasive list or whatever. But what's very frustrating to me is how certain places are allowed to import all this nonsense plant stuff and then just turn it loose out here and let it go. And I think it's just in their house, you know, in a subdivision, but it winds up out here competing and trying to change my ecosystem and i don't appreciate it
0: man it takes over the whole country
1: yep yeah it does and uh yeah it's it's crazy man
0: yeah i was uh i was texting back and forth with a logger this afternoon trying to get some prices i've got a buddy that's uh decided to get into some some habitat work and uh he's got a little different problem than than a lot of folks um He's got to cut a bunch of red oaks so that he can produce more red oaks. Um, I know for a lot of people that don't understand that, that sounds kind of goofy, but he has got an overpopulation of mature willow oak, water oak, nut all oaks in an area and has had zero regeneration in probably 20 years. Um, No sunlight hitting the ground whatsoever. And you look at these oaks, the canopies are just teeny tiny. They're not branched out. They're not doing anything. And, you know, they're not producing acorns like they should. So, you know, it sounds counterproductive, but he's trying to get a logger to come in there now and give him a price on some red oak logs uh, because he needs to get serious and probably cut at least half of what's growing um, across his property so that he can have some more understory coming up and get some, some early cessational uh, red Oak regeneration and some mid story stuff coming.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, that's a tough market. Um, you know, there, there's uh there's only a handful of places that are going to take red Oak right now that I can think of off the top of my head and, and a small list of bloggers that are willing to cut it in the, you know, at least around us, but even the pallet mill up around floral has stopped taking Oak. They, they uh, only want pine. I mean, I'm like, goodness, man, what? But yeah, so there's some, there's some shift in dynamics uh, there, but.
0: Well, I've found some pretty good markets. So, you know, 70, $75 a ton, you know, isn't that bad, but we're so far from a meal that, you know, the landowner's portion of that is only about $30, $35. So, you know, time it's cut and skidded and sorted and loaded and, and trucked, um, you know, with just these mills shutting down and so far apart. Uh, and pulpwood, you know, talk to a guy that's got a bunch of pine pulpwood to sell, and it's going for $25, $27 a ton, but you can't cut it, uh, sort it, skid it, truck it. Uh, you go in the hole.
1: You, I know people don't agree with me, but that's fine. Go, go, prove me wrong. But I'm telling you right now, the pulpwood market in the state of Arkansas is so bad that you 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 can't give it away. Right. I right. mean, if you get two to six dollars a ton on pulpwood, pulpwood pine man you're probably really knocking it out of the
0: park you're setting the world on fire and most of the time you're cutting what maybe a maybe a truckload of pulpwood per acre so two dollars an acre um if you're lucky
1: it, it ain't good man it's bad it's really bad and and then the other part of it is the mill doesn't want it no they they've got They've got thousands of acres of it already. What do they? They don't even want it. So you you it, you can't give it away. I mean, you no, just and can't. that's
0: the that's the problem. You know, just the best you can do is is cut it and drop it or hack and squirt it and just let right. it die where it sits, Which is, you know, I hate to see that happen. It's bad to say, but you know, it's not gaining value. Uh, our,
1: our our NRCS office in White County has got some old uh, CRP ground that is due. F- for a hardwood thinning and they can't cannot get anyone to cut it they're gonna they are actually going to go in and hack and squirt it to kill it
0: well you know they're on one of the farms that i manage we got three or four small stands of uh of pines that uh aren't big enough to be logged they was planted they've never been thinned they never had a first thinning and uh so it needs a good pulpwood thinning but there's not enough acreage to make it worth anything and uh there's not enough money in it. Nobody will come cut it. There's nothing to right. do. That's right. So I know we get a lot of flack for cutting, dropping, hacking, squirting, and killing trees where they stand. But uh, there's not many other alternatives.
1: Unfortunately, there's not. Yep. Uh, I, I wish there was, but uh, I'm I'm fixing to kill a bunch. Uh, if everything goes right, this it'll be later on this year, but. I'm fixing to kill a bunch of it. Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I wish there was somebody that could do something with it, but there there's not. In fact, as long, as long as we could come to an agreement on, uh, what kind of mess they are creating, doing it and, and what they're willing to repair before they leave, I've got stuff I would give them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, give free. I just it's say, y'all, just
1: take, just take it. Just don't rut the roads up, or if you do, fix them back when you're done. You know? Well, you
0: know, and, and I tried that. Uh, you know, I asked a guy that. I said, you know, if we gave you uh, quite a bit of red oaks to cut, can you cut the pine pulpwood? Well, you know, we've done the same thing on cedars. I tried to get a guy last year for cedars, and they just, well, man, to be honest, I can't even take them if you give them to me. Because I'm going in the hole with yep. the trucking and the cutting and the, the labor and the fuel, and I, I can't come out. I'm going to go in the hole if you give them to me. So you got to pay a guy to take them.
1: Now, I've got a friend that is uh, close to the Little Red River uh, between Searcy Pangburn and Batesville, and he has some larger cedar trees. And he is actually getting them cut and they are hauling them off and he is making money on it. But again, that's a lot shorter haul to the mill from there. Right. And, and it is a rare thing. It is a rare thing to. I mean, it's just, boy, I'm glad I'm not in the timber business,
0: (laughs) man. It would be tough. Well, what's a crappy way to serve the Lord, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. I guarantee you. Uh, yeah it's it's not it ain't good it ain't good man i've been uh i've been trying to like every other red-blooded american i've been trying to find a way to make some more money and uh i can tell you the
0: one way i won't do it and that's logging no no i will give you ten dollars an hour to come help me burn though
1: (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't take that you you can come help me and and uh, we'll go eat lunch somewhere, maybe <laughs> talk about it, and uh, we'll just call it even.
0: There you go, there you go. Yeah, man, it's uh, boy, I tell you what, it's it's something else. But it's it's encouraging to see uh, guys are doing whatever it takes, whatever's necessary, and and we're gonna we're gonna get the best of this turkey decline. We're gonna, hey, uh, look, we're wait. gonna pull out of this deal.
1: I don't know what NWTF's doing with the money. But they just auctioned a turkey vest off for $31,000 at the convention here the other day. So I hope that's going to research or habitat or something really good.
0: Man, that'd buy a bunch of arsenal and hatchets, wouldn't it?
1: Oh, my word. $31,000 for a turkey vest. And uh, uh, it just baffles me that, that uh, you know, the the collectability of some hunting and vintage type stuff and the the market for it and the enthusiasm for it. It's
0: pretty, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, I've got my old turkey vest is hanging up here behind me in the office and it's an old NWTF vest and, uh, I don't know, I guess that's, it's faded out. I guess that was mossy oak fall foliage, I guess is what it was. And it's got a few rips that's been sewn up professionally by somebody's grandma, um, And I think I bought that thing brand new back when I was uh, in my 20s. Um, reckon I could get enough out of it to buy one of them Fox Vests? Well,
1: <laughs> I'll tell you this, man. You might be shocked, depending on what pattern it is, and what design it is. You might be shocked at what somebody would pay for it. But but you could afford maybe to buy a new one at $450, a new Fox Vest at $450. But you can't get on eBay or go to no auction. I mean, when the the ones on eBay already over three grand and uh and the auction when that live auction when at NWTF convention went for thirty one thousand dollars. I mean, you're talking about they they paid for an enclosed cab, heat and air side by side. I mean, that's the same money it would cost for the vest versus a heat and air enclosed cab side by side. Yeah. I mean, that's what they did. So. Well, they
0: used to buy a new pickup truck, not just very many years ago.
1: Well, you're right about that. But them days, you know, me and you've talked about that. The prices now on trucks and, and ATVs and all this stuff. It's crazy.
0: Well, I probably wouldn't sell my turkey vest anyway. It's fun for me. It's got so dang many pockets on it that I don't even know it's got still yet after all these years. has got I'm finding new pockets every year. And not only that, but I, I'm getting old enough I can't remember. So I guess I'm I guess I found them once upon a time because I'm finding a shotgun shell here and there and stuff that I know I bought back in the 80s, 90s. So I got
1: I've I've got a box of Winchester two and three. Uh, two and three quarter 12 gauge Winchester turkey loads lead copper plated I believe gray box in tree bark camo so Jim Crumley's tree bark camo and I think the box was marked down it, I got it in there. had to go look $2 and something or $5 and so I think it was $2 and $2.37 or something. Got, I bought it on sale, and there's still about two shells left in that thing because who's going to shoot two three-quarter 12-gauge? But uh, but th- them days over, too, man, I looked at some TSS and stuff, $65 a box.
0: Yeah, see, I ain't doing that. I'll just dig through the pockets of my old turkey vest, and I'll find something to put in my gun you know back in the good old days you ask somebody what they're shooting and the answer is always man i'm shooting two ounces of sixes and uh, yeah you know yeah. it didn't matter the brand it didn't matter nothing you know it just two ounces of sixes now yes. you know occasionally you'd have to step back to one and seven eight something like that. but yeah
1: you know we always had a pretty good war between you know we got a remington plant not far away and then of course a lot of people are heavy winchester people and then for a while back in the, oh, I'll say late 80s, early 90s, Federal was really pushing turkey loads, you know, and so there was a pretty good debate, at least around my my crew on, you know, maybe not for squirrels and ducks and stuff like that as much as there was for turkey, but they were trying to figure out, you know, if they were going to shoot some duplex load that Remington came out with or, you know, some double X whatever Winchester had or, if it was going to be some federal, whatever, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Hey, and Turkey season's coming. We ought to be, we ought to be gearing up and getting ready for that.
0: Well, I'm ready for it. I got a whole bunch to do before it gets here, but I'm ready for it.
1: Yeah, man. I I've had, uh, recently, well, uh, I've actually had some, some losses recently, um, with some younger people actually have, have passed away. And, uh, two, two guys I, I knew really well were paramedics and, uh, they both have, have passed at a young age, but within, and within the last year, I, I guess, but anyhow, one
0: yeah, of them. Hear that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, just life, you know, and then another uh, lady passed away with cancer and it just not even, she wasn't even four, fixing to turn 40 years old. And just a lot of sad, sad things like that. So it makes me more appreciative of my health and the outdoors and all that stuff. But one of my buddies that's hopefully, hopefully going on to be with the Lord. He used to by turkey season. He he'd come in. He was really loud. And he was a huge man, big, big man. And he'd say, "Hollow me one up, boy. Get that call <laughs> and hollow me one up." <laughs> he just loved turkey hunting so much, and he just wanted you to call for him so he could shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. i guess i guess come spring
0: here before very much longer i'll go see if i can hollow one up for one of these kids yeah i'm ready to get up there and i bet some of these warm days they've been gobbling pretty good i just hadn't wanted to mess with them and i don't mind going to listen but i, I got to leave him calls at home or i want to play with them a little bit oh yeah don't
1: don't 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 mess with them, lord yeah
0: yep. uh, I, I just uh, the,
1: i'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you another deal people don't realize this either now this is a weird weather we're having right now, but the most goblin activity I've ever heard you want to guess what month it is?
0: No telling I've heard several different months that had a lot of goblin
1: well f- the most I've heard is in February i I stumbled into some turkeys in the Ozarks in the National Forest. And I never in all my life heard so much gobbling. I mean, they were lit on fire. There was turkeys everywhere. This has been, of course, years ago. But there were turkeys everywhere, and they was gobbling everywhere. But, you know, even even during deer season, we had some birds gobbling. And uh, I always say, man, if the buttercups start blooming, I promise you the turkeys are go- gobbling. And I got buttercups full bloom. blooms.
0: Well, we know they're gobbling. I think they're still grouped up pretty good, but – uh we we know they're goblin. um
1: yeah it's coming back better, better get uh better get excited you know better get you your old 835 mossberg kills on both ends i love a yeah. 835 mossberg man that's the best pattern and shotgun in the
0: world man i've always been anti mossberg but
1: oh i love them things if if worse comes worse you can beat the turkey to death with it and it'll still it'll be all right
0: there you go there you go well we've rattled on about long enough we probably better jump off here and uh but hey message we want to get out to everybody we thank y'all that are already doing it but the message we really want to get out is cut the tree and burn where it used to be so y'all get out there get busy thank y'all for their that are are trying to save you turkeys and doing putting in the work and uh we'll catch y'all uh next week on sawdust and fire thanks for listening